Hello and salam. I am Zoha Kadir, and today you will be joining me on a journey through the vast dry deserts of Egypt, to the colorful tents of the desert's native people, the Bedouins. Grab a cup of tea and a warm animal fur as you settle in to listen, as the desert comes to life with the sound of its women telling their stories. Today, I will be reviewing the ethnography Writing Women's Worlds by Leela Abu-Lugad for our World Ethnography Project. This book was published in 1993 by the University of California Press and is Abu-Lugad's second book studying the lives and culture of the Aulad Ali Bedouins of Egypt. Leela Abu-Lugad is an American anthropologist of Palestinian origin and is currently a professor at Columbia University in New York. As an Arab-American, Abu Lugad has the ability to understand Bedouin culture from both the Western and Middle Eastern lens and understands the nuances of how culture differs from person to person. Abu Lugad became familiar with the Aulad Ali Bedouins through the assistance of her Palestinian father and thus was treated like a family friend by the Bedouin family that she stayed with. Her familiarity with the family, as well as her understanding of typical politeness and acceptable manners within Arab society, allowed her to gain the trust of the women within the Aulad Ali tribe, which ultimately allowed her to gather such intimate stories and experiences from them. Because of her background, Abu Lugad is able to analyze Bedouin culture in a way that isn't alienating to the Bedouins, yet also makes an effort to connect Bedouin culture with the Western audience she knows her book will have. The book itself is intended to be a feminist ethnography by specifically exploring the stories of the women within the tribe that she is studying. However, in her journey of writing the book, Abu Lugad states in her introduction that while she wanted the book to be feminist, she did not want to, it to give the impression of being an emancipatory project. Abu Lugad hopes to acknowledge that what feminism stands for may vary across cultures. She also hopes to avoid projecting one idea of feminism onto her audience and any Western saviorist ideas onto the book. She also states in her introduction that oftentimes, in attempts to analyze cultures, many anthropologists and their audiences tend to create generalizations about others. In order to preserve the idea that people's own experiences with their culture is unique, Abu Lugad opts for more of a storytelling approach for her ethnography. This allows the women to tell their stories themselves while she provides little of her own commentary in order to guide her audience through cultural norms and other parts of the narratives that they may not be familiar with. The ethnography largely follows one family in the Aulad Ali tribe, which is that of a man called Hajj Sagar. By focusing on just one family, Abu Lugad is able to effectively showcase the communal nature of the Bedouin tribe and how one family's narratives can intersect with the tribe as a whole, while also maintaining a level of intimacy with the subjects of the ethnography and the ability to dig deeper into specific narratives. The book is split into five chapters, with each chapter focusing on a specific topic. The topics, in order, are patrilineality, polygyny, reproduction, patrilateral parallel cousin marriage, and finally, honor and shame with each chapter being told largely from the point of view of a different woman from the tribe. Now that you have a broad sense on the background of the ethnography and how it's set up, let's get into a summary of the book.
Chapter 1 focuses primarily on Migden, who is the matriarch of Hudgesagar's family. She is the mother of Hudgesagar and holds a high status of respect within her family as an elder. The chapter goes through some of the major events of Migdam's life as she tells them to Abu Lugad. Some of the major events include her avoidance of marriage proposals as a young woman, her eventual match with her husband, the birth of her children, the death of her husband and his brother, and her current relationship with her children, especially her sons. The topic the chapter is aiming to focus on is that of patrilineality, which is evident in the way Migdam talks about the differences between having sons versus daughters and discusses how lineage is passed down in the Bedouin tribes. The topic of cousin marriage as a means to maintain a woman's ties with her father's family is also discussed in the chapter, although briefly, as it is focused more in depth later in the ethnography. Migdam is described to be a fierce woman who takes great pride in her family and is protective of her daughter-in-laws. Her relationship with her sons is strained at times because she feels that they make poor decisions, and this strain is what prompts her to discuss how she feels about the importance Bedouin tribes place on having sons over daughters. She agrees that sons can carry the family name, but she admires the way daughters help with families and thinks they must be treasured, as eventually daughters must leave to form their own families. This deviates from the typical viewpoint that is often portrayed on how Bedouin tribes or other Middle Eastern cultures view having children, as usually the emphasis is placed on how much these cultures value sons over daughters. However, Migdim's stories dig deeper into these matters and beautifully showcase the intricacies of familial relations within the Bedouin tribes and how men and women are often valued equally but this value is shown in different ways when familial ties are looked at on a more intimate level. Chapter 2 focuses on the topic of polygyny and follows the narratives of Hajj Sagar's wives, specifically his first wife, Katifa. The chapter goes into the relationships between the three wives of Hajj Sagar and explores both the tension and the camaraderie between them when it comes to maintaining one household together. It also tells the stories of how each wife ended up marrying Hajj Sagar, though Katifa's story is the one that is most focused on. Katifa is Hajsagar's cousin and is the daughter of his father's beloved brother, who died young in a landmine accident. The grief of this death was so hard on Hajsagar's father that the family believes it is what led to his early death. Katifa got married to Hajsagar while she was still very young, and the marriage was primarily a means of keeping Katifa within the family, as she was her father's only child. Hajj Sagar had always been fond of Katifa and let her live her childhood throughout the marriage, never taking interest in her romantically or sexually until she started to feel ready to bear the responsibilities of being a wife. Though Hajj Sagar has two other wives, it is known that Katifa is the most dear to him. Katifa knows this as well, but still feels hurt and anger over his other marriages, especially to that of Azza. Azza is a difficult woman who is from the city rather than the desert and her disagreeable nature often causes instability within the household. However, despite their grievances, the women still work together to maintain the household and are there for each other during difficult times, such as childbirth. The relationships between the women of the tribes is one of unity in the end, and oftentimes other women are the only social comfort the Bedouin women have. 
The chapter explores the reasons men in Bedouin tribes may choose to have many wives and even provides the reader with some old Bedouin love stories and poems that the subjects share with Abu Lugad. It showcases how intimacy between the fellow females of the tribe is sometimes even more important than intimacy between husband and wife, which shows how communal Bedouin culture really is. It also shows the tensions that may arise between different wives in one household and how the practice of having many wives is not necessarily a celebrated or even readily accepted practice in Bedouin culture. Chapter 3 focuses on the topic of reproduction. This chapter doesn't really focus on one woman, but rather the matter of childbirth as a whole and how boys and girls are valued in Bedouin society. It discusses the cultural practice of having many children in Bedouin society, especially when a man has more than one wife. Various stories and old wives' tales about birth are shared throughout the chapter, illustrating the importance of folktales and poetry in Bedouin tribes, as well as the importance of having children. For the Bedouins, children are seen as a blessing, even if having many of them may cause financial strain on a family. Reproduction is seen as one of the more important aspects of marriage, and when couples fail to conceive, they often turn to charms or local spiritual guides for help. It also discusses how a woman who isn't having children or birthing boys may lead to a man marrying another woman to produce more kin, thus tying into the previous two chapters on polygyny and patrilineality. Chapter 4 focuses on patrilateral parallel cousin marriage. The narration is focused on Sabra and Safia, who are Migdam's granddaughters. Sabra is nearing 23 and is still unmarried, and Safia is to be married to a cousin soon. The chapter focuses on the process of how women in Bedouin tribes find husbands and the role cousins often play in marriage. Cousin marriage is commonly practiced in Bedouin society and is often seen as a way to keep women within one family so as to keep everyone together. The marriage rituals in the chapter showcase the importance of virginity in Bedouin tribes and how occasions such as weddings bring out old poems, stories, and overall heightens the already strong sense of community in the tribe as they gather to celebrate such joyous occasions. The chapter also shows how Bedouin culture has changed over time, with older women reminiscing on their youths and how much more open relations between men and women used to be in the tribe before the rise of more fundamentalist Islamic beliefs throughout the Middle East. The chapter does a really good job of showing audiences how important marriage and weddings are in Bedouin society, and how, oftentimes, marriage is the center of a woman's life once she reaches the appropriate age. Old poems and stories shared by the women demonstrate the complexity of women's lives in the Bedouin tribes, and how their relationships have evolved around the prospect of marriage and family, as well as how the customs of wedding themselves have changed over time. The last chapter focuses on honor and shame, and the narrative focuses specifically on Kamla, the most educated daughter of Hajsagars. Kamla wishes to marry an educated man, and is frustrated with her life within the Bedouin community. She is annoyed by how many kids her family has, as she knows that they cause financial burden and deprive her of any moment of peace within the household. Abulugad hears Kamla's grievances and asks that she write an essay on what things she would like to change about Bedouin society and what she would keep. The use of Kamla's essay in this chapter really drives Abulugad's purpose of making the ethnography a culturally relevant feminist ethnography. It allows readers to look directly into Kamla's life and the specific aspects of her culture that she interacts with, as well as the moral understandings that it has given her. 
It shows a Bedouin girl's own version of feminism, one that is specifically relevant to her culture and that allows her to express both her concerns and her fondness with it. Now that you have a brief overview of the book, I'd like to share with you one of my favorite passages from it. This passage comes from chapter 1 and starts at the end of page 55. For context, the passage is during a scene where Abu Lugad is gathered with Migdam and some other women of the tribe, who are teaching her about their birth rituals. The following transition will be me reading the passage, so that you don't confuse it with the rest of the review. We often talked about the differences between having sons and having daughters. Once, when I was talking to Migdam about what Bedouin women, in the days before doctors, did for women in labor, she described only the foods and soothing drinks that were prepared. Quote, We would make acida for her, and we'd cook eggs for her, and we'd boil fenugreek. After she had delivered, she would drink two or three cups of it so she wouldn't have cramps. End quote. Migdam's daughter-in-law, Azza, who was from a town, not the desert, interrupted. And they bring the new mother meat. Yes, meat, continued Grandma Migdam. And they slaughter chickens for her, to make her strong. I added, but only if it is a boy, right? She laughed. No, they bring meat if it's a girl. If it's a boy, they slaughter a sheep for him. The boy, you see, his name is Exalted. He has a little pisser that dangles. Her daughter-in-law again broke in, and the girl, well, her father will be sad and her relatives will be sad, and they won't cook at all for her. Migdam was agitated. No, the girl, but her daughter-in-law charged on. The girl, poor thing, her mother is sad. That's how it is. Migdam firmly finished. No, the girl makes your heart happy. She's the one who should have a sheep slaughtered to celebrate her. It's just that people don't understand. Another time, though, she made clear why people preferred sons. Looking out at a group of her little granddaughters playing, she sighed. Little girls are nice. This one goes to get water. That one helps you. But in a week, they can leave you and their place will be empty. Daughters aren't yours. When they marry, that's it. They stay with their families and that's that. They leave you with nothing. But boys, they stay. I really enjoyed this passage because it really showcases a lot of the important aspects of ethnography. The narration style exemplifies Abu Lugad's ability to really immerse readers in the stories and feel as though they are actually listening to Grandma Migdam talk about her tribe. This immersion is extremely important in an ethnography as it allows readers to really get a feel of the culture that is being studied, and Abu Lugad does it beautifully. This passage in particular shows how dynamic culture can be on an individual level, and how certain cultural practices, which are assumed to be readily accepted, aren't always done so without criticism. It shows how complicated women in the tribe really are, and their relationship with their own gender and how it is viewed within the tribe. I also thought it was very powerful to hear Migdam defend the birth of girls, as it felt very personal and reminded me of my own Pakistani grandmothers who may have felt the same way about birthing daughters in a culture that is generally thought to only value men. It shows that women are still inherently valued within the tribe, but their duties and roles can sometimes clash, giving them a complicated relationship with the culture of their tribe. The use of different women's point of view throughout the book really drives home the idea that culture is experienced differently on an individual level by everyone, and thus cannot be generalized. 
Throughout the book, readers are taken through various journeys of the women of the Aulad Ali tribe and are able to see how their different experiences come together under the umbrella of a single culture, while still being wonderfully unique. It shows how feminism can be applied differently within different cultures and that women are able to identify issues within their cultures themselves and embrace feminist ideologies in their own way. It breaks the standard Western view of the Muslim world as being anti-feminist and forces readers to confront that feminism can look different and doesn't need to have certain rigid ideologies across different cultures to be valid. I really enjoyed reading this ethnography and thought that it really served its purpose as well. It was by no means dry to read, and I felt fully immersed in the stories that Abu Lugad was trying to tell. I also really appreciated how she allowed the women to tell their stories themselves, while providing some of her own insights to aid with context and to provide readers with some thinking points as they read the book. This has been a review of Writing Women's Worlds by Leela Abu Lugad, published by University of California Press in 1993. If this review made this book seem like something you may be interested in reading, I highly recommend looking for it at your local library or online. I really enjoyed reading and reviewing this book for our World Ethnography Project, and if you choose to read it, I hope you enjoy it too. Thank you. <laughs>